So good to see everybody in church today. Who's ready for the Word of God? You ready for the Word today? All right, good, good. In your, in your uh, chair there are the notes for today's sermon. So if you want to get those, we got just a few little blanks for you to fill in. I put quite a bit of information there for you so you can go home and study it further, dig a little deeper. And uh, so I hope you'll do that. Uh, the Urban Dictionary. You know, there are some words that are so new to our culture, they're not in the regular dictionary, but there's a website called urbandictionary.com. And so uh, the word unplugged uh, means something new in our culture today. So I looked it up in the Urban Dictionary, and it says to be disconnected from the world of electronic gadgets. And the people said... Amen, let it be, Lord Jesus. You know, I mean, back when all I had was a phone and the only one I had was in my house, those were good days, man, I'm telling you. Now, you got your phone with you all the time, plus you have to check your Twitter and you have to check your Facebook and you have to check your email. And I thought all this stuff was supposed to make it easier for us. How many of y'all have more to do now because we live in such a communication easy world? Actually, we're ODing on communication, so uh, information. And so we don't remember a lot of the stuff uh, that comes our way. I mean, I could just preach on a lot of stuff right here. How many of y'all remember when cartoons only came on on Saturday morning? That's because that made them so special, so special. Bozo would come on occasionally with a cartoon or two, and I loved him for it. Okay, um, <laughs> squirrel. Uh, <laughs> UrbanDictionary.com, unplugged. To be disconnected from the world of electronic gadgets, to be unreachable through electronic means, yes, and uh, not part of the collective electronic consciousness. So that's what that word means in our modern culture. So in light of that definition, what does it mean to say Christmas unplugged? Christmas unplugged. What does that mean? Well, if you're like me, I'm sure you've heard the world's comments and the world's explanations and evaluations of this time of year and what it should mean and how it should affect us. But one of the phrases we hear a lot is this, the Christmas spirit. Got to get the Christmas spirit. I'm not in the Christmas spirit. Have you got the Christmas spirit? So what is the Christmas spirit? What is that? Um, I suppose there are a lot of potential answers to that uh, question. You know, to Scrooge, I guess the Christmas spirit was a ghost. And uh, to the liquor industry uh, this month, uh, the uh, Christmas spirit comes in a bottle. Did you know that in the month of December in America alone, they will spend $80 million on alcohol this month. Someone said the Christmas spirit is a truce called by families during the holiday season. I read another person who said um, Christmas spirit is expressed in a card that conveys a sentiment of happiness and peace. And then I kind of looked this up and I found out that 95% of all Americans will be involved in sending 5 billion plus Christmas cards this year. Uh, and remember, when you send a Christmas card, there's always room for a Bojangles gift card. Um, <laughs> Oh, I wasn't talking about me. I mean, just anybody. Uh, for other people, uh, the Christmas spirit is an attitude of happiness. 
and it's found in fellowship with friends and family and going to parties, while at the same time uh, consuming, this is not a joke, this is the truth, consuming in the month of December 15 million turkeys. And we'll have a moment of silence for the turkeys. <laughs> because they have a house right up the road <laughs> here. Uh, that's what that wonderful smell is. Uh, farm freshness. Um, uh, for most people, the Christmas spirit is all about twinkling lights and holiday music, and I love all that stuff. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not up here to preach against that uh, today. I love twinkling lights. I love uh, holiday music. I love uh, shopping and spending and uh, getting stuff for people. All of that's wonderful. Gallup says that Americans, listen to this, each American on average will spend this year for Christmas $786. Now, I know you're like, I've never spent $786. And some of y'all are going, I wish $786 was all I was spending. This is an average uh, for, per American. Uh, so it's no surprise that the total, listen to this, the total holiday expenditure for 2013, and that's talking about gifts, gifts, buying gifts, is $228.4 billion dollars. That's just gifts. Now, if you include everything that's spent on Christmas, decorations, you know, what department stores do, uh, malls, the streets, the stuff we put on our streets. I always love that time of year. Um, you know, those were simpler days, wasn't it, when we'd all get in the car. My mom and dad are here today, and we'd go look at lights. Amen? And uh, I don't mean crazy lights. I mean, you know, just lights, just street lights. How many of y'all remember those days, okay? And, and I remember we'd go do that, and that was so much fun. And um, if, if you added all that up this year, $600 billion. $600 billion will be spent this year. So for many others, um, Christmas is not so much fun. For a lot of other people, and you know some, and maybe you are here today and you are one of those people, Christmas is not so frivolous, not so trivial. Um, the Christmas spirit for some is one of sadness. Pastor Andy mentioned that today. and um, The reason for that is, is there's an increased bout with depression, and the reason there's an increased bout with depression is because during the holidays, all that's wrong in your life is now measured against the joy of the season, and so it magnifies uh, a person's pain. So as I, as I say that to you, I want you to remember that some of you are going to face that, but you have God to go to. You have your Christian friends. You have your church to go to. Can you imagine those people who are out there who aren't connected to a church and aren't connected to Christian friends and aren't connected to God and, and, and they're going through a Christmas this year and they're going through a really tough time financially or maybe they've lost somebody or whatever and they have nobody to talk to, nobody to call on that's connected to God. But you have that. And, and I want you to watch out for people around you this year. Who, who you see struggling in that area, it's a chance to reach out and be a blessing to them. I read a little poem, it's a very old poem, but this poet put it uh, in a very personal way as he talked about the expression, some people feel of pain during Christmas. Christmas, he said, is a bitter day for mothers who are poor. The wistful eyes of children are daggers to endure. Though shops are crammed with playthings, enough for everyone. If a mother's purse is empty, 
there might as well be none. My purse is full of money, but I cannot buy a toy, only a wreath of holly for the grave of my little boy. So as we read that sad poem, we're reminded that Christmas is not the same for everybody. And I know for most people, Christmas is a very joyful time of year, a very joyous time of year. Um, And it's not because you don't have negative things going on in your life. It's because you as a Christian know how to take that negativity and let God intervene in your life. So again, I want to repeat something I said earlier. Let's Uh, My football coach used to say, Hardison, keep your head on swivel. That means uh, you've got an assignment and you do it, but always be looking around to see where the ball is going, kind of like Alabama didn't do at the end of the game. Anyway, 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 did I bring that up? Uh, Did I bring up the Duke game? No, I didn't bring it up. I didn't bring it up. I haven't brought it up because I love everybody. So, but he would say, he would say, you know, keep your head on swivel, Hardison, now, you get the guy if he comes your way, but if he goes around that end. So what I'm saying is, and y'all remember in football what my position was. It was tailback, and when I'd go out on the field, they'd say, get your tailback over here on the bench. <laughs> and so, so, so I, you know, what we want to do during the Christmas season is we want to meet the needs of our family and meet the needs of the people we love. That's our assignment, but we keep our head on swivel. And if we see somebody hurting over here, we go there. And if we see somebody hurting over here, we go there. Y'all with me on that? You with me on that? So let's keep our head on swivel, okay? All right. So for most people, I guess the Christmas spirit is giving presents. And uh, I mean, if the mall's any indication. Anybody do Black Friday? God bless you. Got black eyes. I see some bruises. Uh, you know, people colliding with each other in the crowded store, spending billions of dollars on everything from nickel candy to million-dollar pieces of jewelry and everything in between. And the world tells us that the spirit of Christmas is giving, and that's okay. That's okay. I'm not here to rain on anybody's Christmas parade, but I want us to look at what the Bible says. What is the true spirit of Christmas? I mean, what, is it all fun? Is it all fellowship and giving? What is it? Well, here's what we're going to do, and I know you're going to be shocked by this. We're going to go to the Bible and find out, okay? So let's go to the book of Luke, and let's look at chapters 1 and 2. Now, on the notes I gave you is all the scriptures. All the scriptures are there, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, you're certainly welcome to do that. I'm using, I believe, throughout this uh, sermon, I believe I used the New American Standard uh, Version, so... We just encourage you to follow along in your Bible. Um, We find out in these two chapters what the spirit of Christmas is. These chapters, Luke 1 and 2, will clarify to us uh, as we read about it, will clarify the Christmas spirit to us as we read about, listen to this, as we read about the reaction that some people and angels had to the birth of Jesus. As a matter of fact, what we're going to discover today from the Bible is the way to react to the birth of Jesus. You want to know how to act during this time of the year? I'm going to tell you today. And what we'll do in the Sundays to come in the month of December is we're going to drill down deeper in the topic that I'm going to expose to you today. How do we act, what are we supposed to do, what is the spirit of Christmas, what is the true 
spirit of Christmas. So let's begin with a lady in the Bible whose name was Elizabeth. Elizabeth. So write that on the first blank there, Elizabeth. And we're going to look at how she reacted to the birth of Jesus by going to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses uh, 41 through 43. Now, the scripture's there in your notes if you want to follow along with me. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her, uh, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that, notice what she calls Mary right here. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That was Elizabeth's reaction. And that reaction conveys the spirit of Christmas the way God intended. But before we say what the spirit of Christmas is, because I'm going to give it to you in one word today. and Some of you are going to figure it out before we get there. But before we do it, let's look at another illustration. Before we expose that word, let's look at another one in Luke 1, 67 through 69. And we're going to see Zacharias. And Zacharias was Elizabeth's husband. And he was also the father of John the Baptist. And uh, as a matter of fact, at that very moment, at that very time, Elizabeth was carrying John the Baptist inside of her womb. So let's look at what Zechariah said. And uh, again, that's in, uh, that's in uh, Luke 1, 67 through 69. It says, after his father, that is John the Baptist's father, Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. After his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying. Now look what he says. Now what is this? What we're about to read is the reaction of Zacharias to the birth of Jesus. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up, I love this, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us and the house of David, his servant. So that's how Zacharias reacted to the announcement of the Messiah's coming birth. And this reaction tells us something of the spirit of Christmas, the right attitude at Christmas time. Look at the next one, Luke 2, 13 and 14. And this, we go from humans now, and on that third blank, you want to put angels. What did angels do? How did angels react to Jesus being born? Let's look at it. And suddenly, to the shepherds, there appeared... With the angel. So one angel. First of all, there was one angel who came and spoke to the shepherds. I mean, that's, that's going to make your day right there, isn't it? I mean, angels coming, talking to you. And uh, this is so that one angel's there. But all of a sudden, a multitude. I mean, these shepherds are out in the middle of the field. And an angel comes and talks to them about the coming Messiah. And then suddenly... Along with that one angel, there are, I just believe, the whole sky was filled with angels. Isn't that an awesome thought? And I don't know what those shepherds would have looked like, but I'd have looked something like this. <laughs> Wouldn't you? Man. 
So all these angels, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, what? Y'all following me? Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. That's how they said it, just like I just said it. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what? Peace among men with whom he, God, is pleased. So we go from the angels and let's come back down to earth now and look in Luke 2.20 and we see the shepherds. How did the shepherds respond? And the shepherds went back and said, whoa, did you see that? No. And the shepherds went back. What were they doing? Glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and just as they uh, just as had been told them. Then we go to Luke 2, 25 through 32, and we read about a man in the Bible that maybe today is the first time you've ever heard of him because i got to tell you about this guy named Simeon. He was only in the Bible for just a little while. I mean, he just shows up right here in the Bible, and then he's gone. But he uh, plays a huge role in teaching us how to react at Christmas, how to act at Christmas, how to respond correctly to the birth of Jesus. He shows us the true Christmas spirit. So let's read it together. It's in your notes. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was, I love the way the writer describes him here. This man was righteous, devout, and looking for the Messiah to come. Looking for the what? Consolation of Israel. And I love this last part. And the what? Was upon him. And had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death. He wouldn't die till he had seen the Lord's Christ. So God had revealed to him, you will not die until you see the Messiah. When you see the Messiah, not until after that will you die. Verse 27, and I love this, I love this. And he came how? In the spirit, into the temple. And when the parents, that is the parents of Jesus, brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, which was circumcision, verse 28 Then he, that is Simeon, and and the Bible doesn't say this, but I just kind of picture Simeon taking Jesus and holding him up like that. And he took him, he took Jesus in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing, he's talking about himself here, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. Now that I have seen the Messiah, And he holds Jesus up. Now I can die in peace. Can I say to you today, you cannot die in peace until you have received the Messiah. He says, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen Jesus. My eyes have seen the Messiah. My eyes have seen, how does he describe it here? Your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, 
a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Wow. Can I, can I just um, use my imagination right here? So Simeon doesn't die until he sees the Messiah. Now you know a lot of people have already died. Many thousands of believers have already died before Simeon and they're in heaven waiting for Simeon. They're in, the heaven, they're in heaven already waiting, waiting for other believers to die and go there where they are. Y'all with me out there? So I can just see Simeon. He holds Jesus up and says the Messiah is here. And then I didn't read it, but he dies right then. He dies right there. He dies immediately. And I can just, this is my imagination now. Um, my opinion about things, very humble opinion, but usually very accurate. Now listen. I can just see him when he walks into heaven, go, hey, 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 he's here. See, Abraham talked about him, and Moses talked about Jesus, and the prophets talked about Jesus. It was Isaiah who gave that detailed description of how Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And so there's all those prophets and all of those people of God, all of those Jewish people who have gone on that are in heaven. And I can just see Simeon walk in and they go, well, is he here? He goes, I'm here, Arna. He's here. Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. Now that's not in your Bible anywhere. So uh, I'm pretty sure it happened though. All right. Luke 2, 36. Through 38. We meet another person in the Bible that I got to tell you, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of her. If you're from the South, what's her name? Anna. If you're from anywhere but the South, what's her name? Anna, exactly. So you listen, let me tell you people from up north and out west keep trying. You're going to get it. <laughs> keep trying. So we're going to see the reaction of Anna here in verse 36. It says, and there was a prophetess. Can I say something to the ladies today? Thank God for you. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. I know there are churches and there are organizations and there are religious denominations that have kind of took women and put them on the back shelf. The Bible says this woman was a prophetess. God speaks through the women. Hey, listen, we love the way y'all cook. Can I just go ahead and say that? We love the way you dress things up. I mean, all that Christmas out there decoration. If a man did any of it, it's because a woman told him how. <laughs> Amen. And uh, we appreciate the men, you know, going, what you want me to do now? And uh, we appreciate the ladies doing, telling them what to do. And, and our church is beautiful because of women. And our, our food is delicious because of women. And, and I thank God for women and I know women are different than men. Viva la difference. That means long live the difference. And I know the, you know, we live in a world where they're trying to homogenize. Is that the right word? Just make the whole thing, you know, like one gender. I'm against that. I love the difference. Don't you? Y'all want me to preach on that a little bit? Whew, glory. Listen. Listen. Man, I can't imagine putting my cheek up against Millie's and feel stubble. I love the difference, don't y'all? I thank God for the women. And listen, I mean not on the back row 
waiting for us to give them permission to speak on the front line, baby, teaching the Word of God, telling the Word of God, sharing the Word of God. Thank God for the women. Thank God for the women. Thank God for the women. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, way beyond the age of 57. I want to make that clear, which is my age. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of what? 84. So listen, not only do I say a word to the women today, but I say a word to our senior saints today. We need you. We need you desperately. And I know there's a lot of young people in this church and a lot of young couples in this church, but one of the things I love about this church is as I look around, I see the gray hair out there. And I thank God for that. And then I see my picture and there's no hair, but I see, I see it. And we need you and you are vital to this church. And I want you to speak into the life of this church. Do we thank God for our senior saints here at the bridge? Amen. So this woman was a, a 84-year-old female, a prophetess. And she never left the temple. We had some people here who worked here last week who felt like they were never going to get to leave the temple. I got to tell you. We had people working here day and night getting ready for this first Sunday of December. She served in the temple night and day with what? Look at it. What? Fastings and prayers. Isn't that something? Man, that Anna, she was a woman of God, wasn't she? The Bible says at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God. She saw Jesus, you know, mom and dad had brought Jesus in for the circumcision, and she saw him and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the what? The salvation, the redemption of Israel. And then let's don't forget another group of people. Don't want to leave them out. They're not mentioned in uh, Luke, but I, they are mentioned in Matthew. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2 were the wise men, the wise men. And it tells us that the wise men in Matthew 2 and 2 where is he who has been born, of the, uh, born king of the Jews? They ask, for we saw his star in the east and have come to what? Worship him. Even Herod, I think I put a little note in your notes there, even Herod, the wicked king, spoke of worshiping Jesus. He was trying to deceive them. So they would show him where Jesus was, but he knew that in order to fool them, he would need to say, I want to worship him. He knew, he knew that though he had no intention of worshiping Jesus, he knew this was their intention. I think that's interesting, and that's in Matthew 2 and 8. Elizabeth, Zacharias, angels, shepherds, Simeon, Anna, wise men, all of them had basically one response to the birth of Jesus. And that one response defines the Christmas spirit. It defines Christmas unplugged. And the right word is worship. You want to know what to do in December? You want to, you want to know how to react? You want to know how to get the Christmas message to the people who are lost. You want to know how? Listen, put up your Christmas tree. Plug in your twinkly lights. 
listen to Bing Crosby sing White Christmas. All that's fine. But don't forget to worship the Savior. Above all things, this is what God has called us to do all the time, but especially at Christmas time. Don't let your unbelieving friends and unbelieving family see you jump off into a meal without saying, hey guys, time out. Let's talk to God for just a minute right before we do this. Be a witness. You're not there to make anybody feel guilty or come across as holier than thou, but the way the world is attracted to Jesus is when they see your worship and your love of him. And when they see you love him and when they see you worship him, it creates in them a, a yearning. It creates a, in them a holy curiosity. They're attracted to him. Worship. Worship. The spirit of Christmas and all the participants that I just read to you about, that very first Christmas was praise, thanks, blessing, glory to God. In a word, worship. Everybody was worshiping or at least talking about worshiping. Worship is that God-intended spirit of Christmas. Let's talk about what worship is. Worship is an attitude of the heart and mind. Worship is an attitude of the heart and mind. Worship is something inside a person. Worship is an attitude of the heart that is filled with wonder and gratitude at what God has done. You ever come in on a Sunday morning and it's hard to worship? I do. I mean, I've had a bad Saturday or I even had a bad Sunday morning, you know, and um, maybe some stuff just didn't work out for me or maybe I don't feel really good about my sermon, you know. I feel like I, I just don't really have it all together there and I might walk in and I might not feel like worshiping. I might not feel like singing. But see, when I forget about me, when I forget about me and what's going on in my life and I just think about the wonder of God, and when I think about how good he has been to me and what he has done in my life, when I stop focusing on my personal needs and me getting a personal blessing, you see, genuine worship happens when there is a total abandonment to God in praise and adoration. No matter what is happening in your life. How many of y'all know that little book, Praise God Anyhow? Praise God Anyhow, that's what I'm talking about. You can't wait till you feel good. As a matter of fact, praise will get you out of your mess. Pray, if you're in a pit, praise will build a ladder for you to get out of there. Amen, amen. Remember we talked about this last week? How praise reinvigorates, praise gives life, worship gives life to us and to our lives. Worship is the most selfless thing we do. Worship is to be so filled with wonder at what God has done that we lose ourselves in adoration and praise to him. And what better time to worship than Christmas? As we focus on at Christmas the very giving of Christ to us so that when we die, we don't go to hell. We go to heaven when we die because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, to give form to our worship, I'm drawn to another person, and her name is Mary. 
I'm not drawn so much to Zacharias here. I'm not drawn so much to Elizabeth here. I'm not drawn as much to the angels or the shepherds or the wise men or Simeon or Anna. I'm drawn to a different person now. A person who is the closest of all human beings to Jesus. She's the closest of all human beings. One who had intimacy with Jesus in a way that no other person ever will ever did or ever will in the future. The one person most directly touched by his birth, of course, is none other than Mary. It's Mary who gives form to our worship. Without question, she gives the most magnificent psalm in the whole New Testament. Some would say in the whole Bible. Now, I'm gonna, what we're going to do when we get to the Scripture in just a minute, down at the bottom of your second page... We're going to read a hymn. We're going to read a psalm of praise to God that she burst forth when she came to the realization of what God had called her to do. It just burst forth from her. Um, it's a song of praise to Jesus Christ. And, it's, and it does mention her, but it's not primarily about her or that she was chosen but that the Messiah, the Savior, has finally come. Look what she says, first of all, in Luke 146. Look at this. Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. You're going to give birth to the Messiah. You are not going to know a man. You are not going to have relations with a man. The Holy Spirit is going to come on you. And you are going to conceive a child in your womb. And you are going to give birth to the Messiah. And the first thing out of her mouth was, my soul exalts the Lord. Because mine would have been, whoa. Especially me, but... Notice that immediately she comes to the same response that everybody else did, worship and praise and adoration and gratitude. Now look what she says. Now, we're going to read this slowly, and I'm probably not going to make many comments, but I want you to drink this in. I want you to drink this in. It's called the Magnificat. The Magnificat. Listen. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state, she's talking about herself, of his bond slave. Now let me tell you what a bond slave is real quick. A bond slave is a slave that has been serving a master because he had to. And the master looks at the bond slave one day and goes, you're free. You're free to go do anything you want to do. You don't have to stay here with me one more minute. You don't have to serve me anymore. But a bond slave is a slave who's been set free and looks back at the master and says, where would I go that I get treated the way you treat me? I will stay and be your, your slave. That's what we are. We're bond slaves. The Lord has set us free to do anything we want to do. Go anywhere we want to go. Serve anybody we want to serve. But we have chosen to say, I want you to be my master. Those of you who have trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, you have chosen him to be your master. Isn't that beautiful? For he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. 
for the mighty one has done great things for me, Mary says, and holy is his name. And his mercy is not only on me, it is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him, those who respect him, those who honor him, those who humble themselves before him. Verse 51, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. What is this? It is a song. It is a psalm. It is a hymn. It is a worship song. Mary knew that she was going to be the mother of the Son of God. She had been told this back in Luke 2.35. Let's read Luke 2.35. I think I put it in your notes. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the holy offspring shall be called what? The Son of God. If I didn't put that in your notes, look that up. Read that when you get home. Mary had been told in Luke 2.32 that the offspring from her womb would be great. She had been told that he would be called the Son of the Most High. She had been told that, the, that by God the Father that, she would, that he would give the throne of his father. He would give to Jesus the throne of his father David and he would reign from that throne forever and ever. Elizabeth, you remember when she met Mary that day, when Mary came to tell her, Elizabeth referred to Mary as the mother of my Lord. She said, you, little handmaiden, are the mother of God. You are the mother of Jesus, the Christ. So in response to all this, how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that? How do you respond to all this? Mary burst forth in worship. Mary burst forth in praise. There was no other reaction. There was nothing else for anybody to do. There was nothing else she could do that would have been appropriate. Hearing all this and all of this being put on her and given to her by the angels and, and by the Lord speaking to her and by, by Elizabeth speaking to her and all of, all of this, the work of the Holy Spirit in her, it's all in there. How does it come out in worship? It burst forth. It's the only appropriate response. But I want you to notice something very important, and I put this in your notes. She's not being worshipped. She is a worshiper. Mary's not being worshipped. She's the worshiper. This is a hymn of worship from Mary to God. One writer said it is of such beauty and such magnificence that it can be looked at like a diamond with many facets and flashing brilliance on many different fronts. That's how he described the words of Mary. I think it's so cool in Luke 1, 26 through 38, Mary's visited by Gabriel and Gabriel tells, tells her, hey, young lady, you've been favored by God. Number two, you're gonna give birth to the Messiah. And number three, don't worry about finding a name, call him Jesus. 
Gabriel laid it out there. And then right after that, on the heels of that, in Luke 1, 39 through 45, Mary visits Elizabeth, and Elizabeth confirms what the angel said. And that's all the confrontation Mary needs. That's all the information she needs. She realizes a remarkable thing about God, and this is what it is. God, it just comes to her. She just begins to realize God is about to change the course of human history. God is about to change the whole course of human history, and he's going to use me to bring his son into the world. Then she thinks the, the most awesome Three years ever in history of mankind, ever in the history of the world, is about to happen. When Jesus is born, the most incredible three decades, I'm sorry I said three years, three decades, three and a half decades to be, uh, or, or 33, about 33 years old Jesus lived to be. She said that's about to begin. And then she asked herself, I think, where is God in all this? And here's what amazed her. Here's what amazed Mary. In all of this, she says, where is God? And God was occupying himself with two obscure, humble women, one old and barren and one young and virtuous. And so Mary is moved by this vision. Listen to this. This is it, and I'm done. That God favors the lowly. God favors the lowly. That God in all of this um, incredible thing that's going to happen, he is the lover of the lowly. And she breaks out in a song, a song that has been called, has been uh, uh, called by the writers of history, the Magnificat, those words that she spoke that I read earlier. You know, if you want to read about how God picks who everybody else rejects. Just go home and don't do it now, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when you get home and read how God picks those that the world would reject. And the Bible says the reason God picks the lowly and the ones that, that the world would reject is so that when God does mighty things through lowly people, everybody says there must be a God. There must be a God. So here's a worshiper, Mary. And she's a Christmas worshiper. Here's the mother of Jesus teaching us how to respond during Christmas time with worship. So what we'll do next Sunday and the Sundays to come is we're going to drill down deeper and we're going to look at the elements that are in this psalm that she expressed. We're going to break it down. And we're going to look at the elements that speaks of the significance and meaning of worship. I know your hearts, I know this church, and I know your hearts, and you want to react to God. You want to react in public. You want to react this month of December in the best way you can react to the birth of Messiah, and that's what this sermon series is about. And i got to tell you, like I tell you all the time, I'm preaching to me here, the right reaction is worship. And we're going to talk about what that looks like in a practical way in your life in the Sundays to come. Amen?